Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, January 3rd. Happy New Year to all of you listeners out there. We are immensely grateful for your continued support of our efforts here at Crack Rackets throughout the 2021 season. We hope you'll stick with us here in 2022 as we have so much fun content planned, not only on the podcast front, but across our various mediums here at Crack Rackets. And of course, most importantly, we hope all of you enjoyed some time during this holiday season, whether it's to spend time with your family, to just take a break from the daily week-in, week-out tennis grind. That said, we are re-energized, refocused, and ready to rock and roll here. On the Mini Break Podcast moving forward, of course, the tennis season did not offer us much of a chaser. We dive right into it here in 2022. Multiple events happening across the board on the ATP and WTA level as the Australian action begins down under. And of course, on today's podcast, what I want to do, offer some reflections from the first few days of play at the ATP Cup. Of course, our WTA ATP events beginning late last night as well, at least late last night here on the East Coast. I want to talk about some of the matches I was able to see. I want to talk about some of the matches we have coming up. Of course, if you look in particular at some of those WTA draws, absolutely loaded fields. As again, all of these players try to get their feet wet, try to get a few matches under their belt before that first Grand Slam of the year, that 2022 Australian Open begins. Of course, before I can get into any of the action, I have to remind all of you listeners that the reason these podcasts are made possible day in, day out, sincerely, is because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets family. You guys were willing to tune into 
all of our episodes. We set a bunch of records from a metrics perspective for us here at Crack Rackets in 2021. Most downloads we've ever had. That month of December, our busiest and most downloaded month in terms of across the board on our podcast in Crack Rackets history. That's a testament to all of you who keep tuning in and apparently aren't yet sick of my voice. I'm talking to you all right now in Sarasota, Florida, spending some time with my family, my last day on vacation before my parents ship me out and they say, Alex, we're done with you. Go back to Indianapolis. Go enjoy some tennis. We have heard enough of your takes over these past 12 days. And you listeners, you never do that. You stick with me day in, day out. For the record, my parents don't actually ever do that either. I'm immensely grateful to them for their love, but that's a topic for another time. I'm also immensely grateful for the support, the love I get from all of you listeners. Of course, if you've missed any of our podcasts from the offseason, you can catch up on them all on our website, CrackRackets.com. We were so fortunate to have so many exceptional guests from the usual cast of characters, the Ben Rothenbergs, the David Keynes of the world, Nina Pantic, Gil Gross, Jamie McDonald, Chris Halioris, Matt Stachowiak, John Parsons. I can go on and on and on. Damian Kust, Jakob Babro, all of the people who make our products what they are here at Crack Rackets. You missed any of those conversations. You want to get a bit more preview content in, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. But of course, I have to give one other shout out to our friends over at Tennis Point, the lifeblood of this podcast here, who make you know all of these episodes possible. Of course, if you need anything to update your tennis game here as we begin a new season, there's only one place for you to turn to. That's our friends at Tennis Point. You go to tennis-point.com right now. You're going to find the latest equipment at clearly, clearly the best prices available. Of course, you go to tennis-point.com right now and use our promo code CR15 at checkout. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, that's tennis-point symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. That promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the first time I am riding Han Solo here in the 2022 season. Let's talk about some tennis. And I think the place we have to start is the headline event of the week on the men's side, that ATP Cup action thoroughly underway now. And look, the first few days have absolutely delivered the goods. And I don't want to dive too deep into the weeds on any specific match, any specific player. Not going to make broad predictions right now. You want to hear those sorts of conversations. Head on over to Sunday's mini break episode where my friend Gil Gross joined me to do exactly that. But I do want to talk about some of the highlights we've seen thus far. And again, it's one week of tennis. It's only three days of action thus far. Let's not draw any sweeping conclusions, right? Yeah, Diego Schwartzman takes a win over Stefano Tsitsipas. Is it time to hit the panic button for Tsitsipas? Absolutely not, as that was his first match coming off of elbow surgery. He was supposed to play on Friday night or Saturday morning, whatever time that is, the nomenclature a bit unclear, and boy, did I not miss the struggle that it is here in the United States to watch tennis in Australia. And I know it's a reciprocal feeling because I'm sure there are Australians out there. I was about to do an Australian accent and say, oh, it's brutal to watch. That's just horrible. I don't have an Australian accent in me. I'll workshop it. I'll have it ready for all of you come the Australian Open. Point being, I'm sure they feel the same way about American tennis, but thank God, you know, I'm getting older and I just have to wake up and go to the bathroom at night because because of that, I end up getting up and, you know, it's 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 
my pop-on tennis channel just to see who's up. I hear my friend Gil Gross on the ones and twos on the call, and then it's like, all right, I might as well watch a little bit of the action unfolding. And, of course, when that happened to me last night, it was smack dab in the middle of set number two between Stefano Tsitsipas and Diego Schwartzman. And look, Schwartzman was excellent yesterday. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Thoroughly earned that 6-7, 6-3, 6-3 win over Stefano Tsitsipas. His first top five win on a hard court in his career. And look, I talked about this with Gil yesterday. I can repeat it here now. There were a bunch of career highs for Diego Schwartzman during the 2021 season. Now, he didn't have the Grand Slam semifinal appearance that he had in 2020 at Roland Garros, but of course, you know, 2021, a continuation of what is clearly the prime of Diego Schwartzman's career. He's 29 years old, turns 30 in August. You look at the percentages, they very much reflect what we're seeing with our eyes Over the past two seasons, career high for him in break percentage, over 34% that led all top 50 players in 2021. He's also got a career high hold percentage of 76%. Now that number still below the average of top 50 players, but when you're breaking serve at the elite of elite rate, and you can hold serve at a you know a league average, we'll say, you know, 76, 70, it's obviously a little bit closer to 80, but it's just very clear physically. Diego Schwartzman in his prime. And it's been so striking to me watching all of these players, you know, in their first matches returning to the court. Everyone's a little slow in the outer thirds of the court. It's a little bit more difficult for people to change directions, hit out of those corners, recover back to the center in match number one, certainly than it will be two weeks, three weeks from now come the Australian Open. And by the way, I've never sympathized nor empathized nor identified more with these players struggling out of the corners in their first matches back. That's how I feel every time now when I'm on the tennis court. I'm sure many of you out there who play tennis yourselves feel that way also just you know, sometimes you feel like you're stepping out of quicksand on these courts. You can see these players a little quicksandy coming in and out of corners. That was not the case for Diego Schwartzman, who simply put, made that match against Tsitsipas as much of a track meet as he could. Now, credit to Stefanos, who you have to say, given the, you know, the off-season injury, given the surgery, him coming back to form, him opting out of his first match in this tournament, given he just wasn't sure where he would be physically— I actually thought this was a, a fantastic first performance given those considerations for Tsitsipas, who still won 70% of his first serve points, who still, you know, was only broken four times in a three-set match. That's, you know, that's pretty damn solid if you're Tsitsipas, but yeah, there was a little bit of rust for Tsitsipas, certainly coming in and out of corners. You'd felt like there were times when Diego Schwartzman was just able to pinpoint the Tsitsipas backhand, and when he was able to do that, obviously there were times when Tsitsipas would step up, hit that ball big, go down the line, incorporate the drop shot. I actually thought the slice for Tsitsipas on that backhand wing looked pretty good yesterday. But I mean, for Tsitsipas, A, to win only 49% of his second serve points, uh, I know Diego Schwartzman's an exceptional uh, returner. That's just not going to get the job done for him moving forward. And B, and most importantly, Tsitsipas, uh, Schwartzman, excuse me, wins over 70% of his service points throughout the course of the match for a guy who's typically in the bottom 10 of the top 50 players in hold percentage. I mean, that's just, that's not acceptable for Stefanos moving forward, and obviously I think that's something he cleans up over the course of the next few weeks, and he talked openly in the press conference about the lack of certainty 
in his level entering this match. And again, first match back for him to play Schwartzman, who was clicking today, you know, finding the balls in the outer third, changing directions, again, targeting that backhand with depth, with precision so, so well. Schwartzman was locked in. And he outplayed Tsitsipas. There's no denying that. Was able to absorb the first strike tennis of Stefanos. Was able to change the dynamic of the match in particular. You know, again, that first set, they, I believe they trade a couple of breaks of serve. But, you know, Tsitsipas just outpowers him. That plus one ball being the difference in the 7-5 tiebreaker Tsitsipas played. I think he was able to hit three plus one winners or plus one dominant shots to, you know, assert control of the point early on. And that's what ultimately makes Tsitsipas such an exception. Exceptional player in tiebreakers, such an exceptional server on tour. But man, Diego Schwartzman, I mean, physically right now, he's just locked in. And, you know, again, for a guy who I think was 6 and 19 or 5 and 19 in against top 10 opponents on hard courts entering this matchup, this is a big confidence boost for Schwartzman. And given the uncertainty of Novak Djokovic's playing status at the Australian Open, and we're not going to play a game of Speculation Jones. We've done that the past two days. We're contractually obliged by the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. you got to leave the A block with some sort of Djokovic's status reference. Uh, look, we're not going to do that here today. Let's just say this. If he doesn't play, it's an open field. And yes, Medvedev, Zverev, their level of play on hard courts over the past 15 months, they are certainly the front runners in a Djokovic-less field. But, I mean, if things break right, is there any reason Diego Schwartzman can't make a quarterfinal run? And then once you're in the quarterfinal one, can't you know, quarterfinal round, can't anything happen at that point? So a fantastic performance for Schwartzman, who was locked in, who embraces the team environment, Team Argentina. I believe, clinching their spot already in the ATP Cup bracket play. I don't remember if it's quarterfinals or semifinals they go straight to, but they're going to advance out of their group as they are 2-0. It was an exceptional performance from uh, from Schwartzman. I actually, again, thought Tsitsipas, given the lack of, uh, lack of, I guess, What's, what's, he wasn't calloused coming in. The lack of match play, there's the term, entering this match. I thought it was a pretty good performance for him. Schwartzman just beat him, though. Schwartzman was better down the home stretch. But speaking, you know, that's a confidence boost. But speaking of needing confidence boosts, and we've talked about him the past two days, so I'm not going to harp on this too long. Boy, did Christian Guerin need the win he earned yesterday over the deuce, Dusan Lajevic for Guerin. It was a 4-6-6-4-3 love victory when the deuce forced to retire due to cramping. And again, it's early in the season. The deuce is getting up there in age. We're about to say deuce, deuce to the deuce's career. It's certainly closer to the back end than we are to the front end. But boy, I mean, Guerin, you get so frustrated at times with his court positioning on a hard court. He's so comfortable playing six feet, seven feet, eight feet behind the baseline. But credit to him for making that match a track meet, for forcing Dusan Lajevic to go corner to corner to corner, force him to hit that extra shot each and every time. I believe Gil Gross referred to Guerin as Quadzilla on our podcast yesterday. I think there are better quads out there. In professional tennis, Green certainly got a nice set on him, but look, he needs that confidence boost, and I said it yesterday, I said it the day before, I'll say it again. If he can get to a 500-level player, which certainly fundamentally, yes, his backhand sits a little bit short, yes, the kick serve sits a little bit short, particularly on hard courts, but there's no reason structurally 
fundamentally that he can't be a 500 player on hard courts. His 3-8 and eight performance, 3-9, and nine, whatever it was in 2021, that's unacceptable moving forward. And look, for Christian Green, what a victory for he in Chile. And Alejandro Tabilo, who is hovering, you know, the lefty hovering around that top 100, loses a heartbreaker, 7-6 in the third, to Filip Krajinovic yesterday. For Green to drop that first set, knowing his team was on the brink of elimination, come back, take the second set, 6-4, earn the victory, get the confidence boost. It's a big win for Green moving forward. And again, I don't think you should read too deeply into any loss this early in the season. I do think you are allowed to read into victories because they are often indicative of what may come later in the season. And again, Green's got pretty much nothing to defend here at the start of the year. So if he can go 500, even win 60% of his matches, I'm not saying the top 10 is a call-in, but from a point perspective, the top 10 is a call-in. So it's just worth watching the, I think, 25-year-old as he competes this season, certainly 25, prime of his career. Very good victory for him. Some of the other results we've seen unfold, yeah, Hubi Hercats was tested yesterday, but he ultimately advances in three sets. By the way, that's what you do when you're a top 10 player. If you face some adversity, you come back, you drop a first set, 6-7, you win the next two, 6-3, 6-1, you show off your stuff. But of course, uh, you know, Yannick Sinner, you know, just quickly, we're going to rapid fire through who's impressed me the most. Yannick Sinner dominated Max Purcell in his first match. And I'm not saying Sinner's going to win the Australian Open, but if you're looking for dark horse picks from an odds perspective, Sinner and Alcaraz are the two most obvious low-hanging fruits to pick because I'll tell you what, he's going to win Grand Slams eventually. Like, it might not be this year, but man, Yannick Sinner was playing, I don't know, which, whichever one, the checkers chess, we always do this, check, one's playing checkers, the other's playing chess, whichever the more advanced is, and I believe the answer to that question is chess. That's what Yannick Sinner was playing out there on court. Dan Evans looked excellent, not only in his 6-1-6-2 victory over Jan Leonard Stroop, but in his doubles rubber with Jamie Murray as well. I actually thought it was a pretty impressive form for Alex Virov. Again, he did not look like he was in quicksand in his 7-6-6-1 victory over Cam Norrie. I thought Norrie looked pretty good in set number one as well. But three other players, uh, you know, Carino Busta, he's looked solid also. Uh, Taylor Fritz, Big win over FAA in three sets. I thought that was a very fun match. I actually thought FAA was moving pretty well. Fritz now just, again, making life look pretty easy. Ugo Umber was slap city, and I talked about this on Twitter. I think, you know, Ugo Umber's 6-7-7-5-7-6 victory over Daniil Medvedev says more about Umber than it does about Medvedev. Medvedev just didn't have his legs under him quite yet. You could tell physically he wasn't quite there, and he served pretty well, but just didn't feel... It just, that match was played entirely on Ugo Umber's terms, and I'm telling you, Australian Open, Daniil Medvedev will not allow that to happen, but credit to Umber. That's what he does. He's a high-variance player because he likes to take that big slap, go down the line, approach and follow the net. He likes to hit the big serve, big plus one lefty forehand. Uh, I thought, again, he looked excellent in his victory over Medvedev. Medvedev did not look good, and yet Medvedev still ends up losing 7-6 in the third. So, you know, that's what you read into that. For the tenant, you know, for the hipsters who listen to this podcast, Roman Sefillin, uh, you know, the OGs know it wasn't Medvedev, Rublev, or Hatchinoff, but Sefillin, who was the first Russian standout on the junior circuit. Now he's had a ton of injuries, but he's earned two big victories over the past two days. In, or in particular, his victory over Arthur Rindernesh, excuse me, and then his victory in doubles helps Russia secure the victory. Uh, who else? Kamil Matrzak of Poland. I'm telling you. 
beautiful backhand in the forehand gets a little bit big and yeah the, the weapons of top 50 players are going to expose that forehand he'll leave that ball short they're going to be able to play that attacking tennis but the Matrizak backhand belongs in the ATP top 100 it might even belong higher than that it is that clean condensed compact of a stroke he looks excellent in his two victories and again I mean, if, you know, the, Team Poland, you think they're riding the Hubie Hercots bandwagon, but they haven't lost a singles rubber thus far, and that's a credit to Matrasek, who's beating who he's supposed to beat at this point. And look, 23, 24, 25 years old is Matrasek. Makes sense that he's ascending to the prime of his career right now. But just, you know, again, quickly, two other guys I want to touch on ATP Cup, and I, this has to be a quicker podcast, truth be told. I'm headed to the airport in about, I say th- 45 minutes. If I go ask my dad outside the door, he'd say, no, we're leaving in 15. I think if it was up to him, we would have left yesterday, and I'd just be sitting at the gate waiting. But two other standout performers thus far, Roberto Bautista Gut has looked excellent, whether it was his straight-set victory over Christian Green, whether it was his 4-6 and six victory yesterday over Casper Ruud. Roberto Bautista Gut right now, more than anything else, he's healthy, he's fit, and on these hard courts, in these conditions— Good luck getting a ball by him because he baits you into challenging his on-the-run forehand. And I swear to God, that on-the-run forehand's a top 10 on-the-run forehand. That's such a nuanced category. What is your top 10 on-the-run forehands on the ATP Tour? Everyone's got a list, right? Right off the top of your head, you can name the top 10 on-the-run forehands. But no, you can't do that. But if you were going to... I mean, Batista Gut might be top five, and just the the discipline of his patterns, his ability to play his backhand flat but deep on Casper Ruud yesterday, just not allow Casper Ruud any sort of opportunities to play attacking aggressive tennis, and didn't allow Casper Ruud to you know sit in that at corner of the court and go inside out, inside out, inside in with his forehand like he likes to do. It was a really disciplined performance from RBA. And again, we talked about him with Gill yesterday, so I don't want to harp on this point for too long, but you just look in a Djokovic-less Australian Open, RBA is one of those guys, he gets to the quarterfinals, anything can happen. He's traditionally given Medvedevs all sorts of trouble. And again, he's just, you know, he hasn't, I think he's made one, two Grand Slam semifinals in his career, four quarterfinals. I'm not saying he's a favorite to win the event. I am saying He's absolutely going to be a tough out. The discipline, the physicality he plays with, again, he's clearly healthy right now. He's fit as a fiddle. He is going to be a tough out come the Australian Open. And then the other one, Alex Diemenauer, who has probably earned the win of the tournament in his 6-3-7-6 win over Matteo Berrettini. Look, 2021 was a disaster. Disaster's probably too strong given he won the Eastbourne title, but Diemenauer did not play to his standards last season. He looked the part here. In Australia, and guess what? I, I tweeted this out. You know, I like nothing more than quoting my own tweets here on these podcasts. No crowd rewards a strong performance from their home country men and women more than the Australian crowd. And boy, were they amping up Demon Hour in his 6 3 7 6 win over Berrettini. It's just the speed, the speed, the speed, the speed. I don't. Berrettini can hit that ball Mach 5, the big 130 mile per hour serve, the big plus one forehand. Demon Hour is going to track it down. He's going to make you hit an extra ball. And, you know, again, his ability to absorb redirect pace. Yes, the forehand's a little bit flat. It's a little bit of a bigger backswing. And, you know, it's amazing because then you look at the backhand and it's so condensed and everything's out in front. It's almost paradoxical in the way he was taught those two strokes. At the same time, some people are just blessed to know how to win tennis points. 
Alex Diemenauer is one of those people. He's never out of the point. He's going to track down your drop shot. He's going to, again, force you to hit an extra ball. And the best of the best will put that extra ball away. But in a first match of the season, uh, Berrettini wasn't quite refined enough to be able to do that. And, you know, again, I do think the Demon Hour serve gets better and better with each repetition he takes. I thought he served particularly well against Berrettini. He wins, you know, 77% of his service points throughout the match, makes 69% of his first serves, took advantage whenever he got a look at a Berrettini second serve, winning 50% of his second serve return points. And again, in this match, Berrettini breaks once. Demonauer breaks twice. Demonauer takes the tiebreaker. That's the difference at the highest level of this uh, of this sport. And Demonauer just puts himself in a position to win these sorts of hard court matches. Now, again, we're not talking clay court, Alex. We're not talking grass court, Alex. We're talking hard court, Alex Demonauer. Particularly Australian hard courts, a place where he's won an ATP title in the past. Great to see him get a much needed confidence boost to start the season. But you know, again, let's keep in mind. I believe Alex Demonauer is like. 22 years old, I want to say. twenty. Yeah, 22 years old. Doesn't turn 23 till February 17th. Still a baby boy in the grand perspective. And you look for Demon Hour. He's got Daniil Medvedev tonight. He's got Ugo Umber on Thursday night. Yeah, uh, or Thursday morning, excuse me. He's going to get three exceptional matches. He's going to be tested. And to get this confidence boost, I think, was most critical for him moving forward. Big win for the Demon. Big win for the Australians as well in that group of death. Russia, Australia, Italy. Uh, I believe there's one other country. I don't remember who the other country is, but I mean, come on. That is straight up the group of death. Uh, Yeah, oh, Russia, Australia, Italy, and France. Excuse me, that is... It's a brutal group. It is the group of death. And so, again, you know, there's some talk. Does ATP Cup matter? We talked about it with Gil. I think that they reward points is a bit BS because, you know, people are getting into this tournament not on their own ranking, but on the ranking of the best, highest-ranked player in their country. And there are people who are boxed out of this event because of that as well. Yeah, that's a little silly. At the same time, I love this as your first event of the season. I'm all in on ATP Cup. I don't care. I'm going to call him. I don't care, Craig Shapiro. You say no one likes it. You're just wrong. I really like it, and I think there are plenty of people out there like me as well who also like it, and so, yeah, I don't know why I'm granting Craig Shapiro a platform as if he's a decisive voice. He's just the person I saw tweet out, no one cares. You're wrong, Craig. There are people who care, and so that is where I'm at. With ATP Cup, but again, the doubles rubber, super exciting. I love that they play it last. It feels like it matters. Go watch that Australian doubles rubber. It mattered. It was that exciting, Uh, you know, coming down to the one-all point. Go watch the Great Britain match again as well when Jamie Murray and Dan Evans are able to clinch over Germany. It felt like that mattered as well. Super, super exciting start to the 2022 ATP season. Of course, that is just the ATP Cup event. We've got some regular WTA ATP main draw action as well. I'm going to have to rapid fire through this as I see the clock hit 333. I still got to go pack. Hopefully no one heard that in here because then I'm going to get freaked out at. But just quickly talk about some of the results we saw thus far. I was able to watch the Rabakina Storm Sanders match. Rabakina 6-4-1-6-6-1 win over Sanders. Look, Sanders made it work. I mean, Sanders lefty quick, aggressive, turns defense into offense, very good returner as well. Man, when Elena Rabakina hits a ball cleanly, you just lose. And I mean, we've talked about her future member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, if things break correctly. Her ranking has been a career high at the end of every season these past five seasons. She's still, I think, 22 years old as well. 
If she plays well, it's on her terms. That serve, that forehand, the aggressive cuts. When she gets to sit on a forehand, I don't care if it's down the line. I don't care if it's cross court. If she hits it cleanly, she's going to hit it for a winner. Super, super impressive. Of course, you look some of the other results. Maria Sakari, 6-2, love 6, 6-4. Over tomorrow, Zidonzic. Zidonzic's got pretty much nothing to defend until really late in the clay court season. And given she's got those Roland Garros semifinals, on her resume, she's got an opportunity for growth here. If she can just earn, you know, again, go 500 here through the first three hardcourt month stretch of the season or go play South American stretch, whatever it is she wants to do. Sakari looks slow in the corners. Like, I just don't think Sakari played particularly well. That said, she earned the victory. And in the end, that's ultimately what matters. So for Maria Sakari, was able to find some aggression down the home stretch, able to get the break at 5-4 up in the third, earn the victory. That's the sort of confidence-boosting win you need when you're not playing your best to start a season. By the way, that's, again, what top 10 players do. They don't play their best. They still find a way to earn victories. Sakari able to do that. Alia Tamjanovic, she was so hot to end the end of last season. She earns a victory 4-6 over Heather Watson. Uh, Layla Fernandez continuing her ex- excellent form, 6-3, 6-4. She earns the victory over Ekaterina Alexandrova. Other two ones notable, you guys know I'm on the Kaya Yuvon bandwagon. She earns a 4-2 victory over Chloe Paquet. Uh, Paquet. That was a fantastic victory for Yuvon, who just has weapons, folks. Just go watch her play. I'll do the Yvonne take later on this week when I have more time, but she looked excellent. But then Patricia Hahn, upset of the tournament, upset of the year thus far. 6 7 7 5 6 2 over Petra Kvitova. Again, Kvitova's legs were not under her. She's not as fit as she will be two weeks from now, three weeks from now, when she's played more matches, acclimated herself to the environment. But credit to Hahn, who just kept the pressure on Kvitova. You look for Han throughout the course of the match. She's able to win 84% of her first serve points. Did such a good job changing direction with that plus one serve. Only a uh, plus one ball. Only faced two break points throughout the course of the match. And by the way, you know, Kvitova was broken, I think, uh, four times in this match. She was two of six saving break. Yeah, so Patricia Han four of six in break point chances. Kvitova one of two. Thin margins in this match, but ultimately, in the end, it was Petra Kvitova uh, falling to Patricia Hahn, and yeah, I mean, again, Aussies rewarding Aussies. The crowd was amped for the 23-year-old, and you look for Patricia Hahn, who reached a career high of number 118 at the end of 2019, dealt with a bunch of injuries last season. She's coming back, folks. She is on the rise, making her return a great way to start the season for the righty. Uh, Patricia, excuse me, Priscilla Han. Hey, great shot to me. Still finding my footing here this season. But by the way, that draw in Adelaide, only going to get better and better as Aranka, Bedosa, Indian Wells final uh, rematch in the first round. They also knocked out the number one seeds in doubles here to start the season. They're getting ready to rock and roll. That should be such an exciting event. Of course, that's one of two WTA events we've got going on this week in Australia. We've also got the Melbourne uh, Somerset 1 happening this week. I think we also have Melbourne Somerset 2 uh, happening this week as well. Unclear on the nomenclature again for all of these tournaments, but you look at Somerset 1, yeah, stupid draw. Osaka the one seed. Halep the two, Kudermatova the three, you know, Golubic, uh I see as the six seed, I see uh, as the five seed, Ludmilla Samsonova, number four seed, Camilla Georgi withdrawing from this event. That's what happened there. But again, you've got the Martin Sovas of the world, the Samsonovas of the world, Clara Burrells of the world, Petra Martic, I mean, Rusa, Rodi, Kanepi. I'm just looking at all of these draws. It's freaking loaded. And again, the return of Naomi Osaka, who in her first match back plays Alize Cornet. 
That's exciting stuff at Somerset 1. Of course, again, I mentioned Adelaide where you've got Sabalenka, Ashley Barty. I think there's five top 10 players competing this week in Adelaide as well. And then, of course, you've got Somerset number 2, Pagula, Mertens, Clara Tossin, Sarah Cerebus Tormo, Ann Lee, Marta Kostyuk, Daria Kasakina. I mean, Amanda, I mean, it's going to be a busy week here on the mini break podcast. We might have to double up on mini break days. We might have to do one for the men, one for the women. Again, as we try to keep all of you listeners the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business. I know I did 20 minutes on ATP Cup. We're still in the nascent stages, early stages. Nascent? Early? Synonymous? I think so. Hey, great shot if they're not. Early stages of all of this WTA action, but that's where things stand for now. Again, adjust your time schedules if you can. If you're able to stay up, you know, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., able to work that midnight shift, sign up for it because there's going to be plenty of fun tennis to keep you entertained. I mean, man, Kalnina versus Tossin, round one in Melbourne 2. That's Melbourne 2 happening this week, and that's a first-round match. Sign me up for that. Of course, that's your WTA action happening this week. We've also got ATP action happening as well outside of the ATP Cup. You've got Adelaide 1. You've got the Melbourne Somerset action happening, of course, and you look at those two draws, the play we've seen to date thus far. And again, we're very early in these tournaments, but you look at the main draw action. I actually don't think we've seen any main draw action yet at the Melbourne Somerset event. You look at the draws, though. Rafa, your top seed there. He gets a bye, and Riley, uh, Riley Opelka, your number two seed. You've got Dimitrov, your three seed. Gofen, your four seed. Some of the juicy round one matches, though. Munar versus Anderson. If you like height disparities, that's a fun one for you. BVDZ, Botik Vandesen, Sculp. Shout out to Botik who, of course, nearly shares my birthday, October 4th, 1995. I always say at that point, I've got two days to get my act together because he's two days older than me. That's a really stupid logic, I know, but you know he's got Manorino, round one. That's a fun one. Ivashka versus Rusevori, a super fun one, in my opinion, round one. You've got, for the Aussies, O'Connell versus Thompson. I think Kyrgios versus Mulcan could be pretty fun as well. Loaded action over in Melbourne Somerset event. And again, I believe that action ready to get started here on January 4th, which means Monday night for us here in the States. Get ready to rock and roll, folks. The ATP Tour, WTA Tour, professional tennis is back. Of course, you look at Adelaide 1. We did have some main draw results. Stevie Johnson, three-set win for the former two-time NCAA individual champion, four-time NCAA team champion, over former Illinois All-American Alex Vukic, the I actually think it's a really good result for the Aussie wildcard into that event. Again, proven he his form at the end of last season in the North American Challengers was real. Uh, he's playing some good ball here, Stevie, though. That's a nice win for him. The Sunwoo Kwan resurgence, resurgence rise last year, also real. He's going to be in the top 75, folks, for time to come. He earns a 1-2 and two victory over Yoshihito Nishioka. Just hits the ball so cleanly from the baseline. And obviously, you watch him go watch his race with Francis Tiafo, fit as a fiddle always. He's ready for the early season grind, so that's a nice result for him also. Uh, but of course, again, that's where we're at right now in terms of thus far in Adelaide. We had a couple other results. Uh, uh, I believe Diego Montiero earning a victory. Laszlo Ure also earning a victory. You look at the draws in Adelaide. Your number one seed, Gael Monfils. Two seed, Karen Hatchinoff. Three seed, Marin Cilic. Your number four seed, Francis Tiafo. Of course, getting underway tonight. You've got Surind- uh, Juan Manuel Serendolo taking on Alex Bolt. You've got Francisco Serendolo taking on Gianluca Majer. You've got, uh, I believe, some Mikhail Emer action against Benjamin Bonzi, Tommy Paul, Yuri Vesely, Musetti, Taro Daniel. We're back, folks. 
we are officially back here as we kick off the 2022 season. Of course, we've got four challengers happening this week as well, and as if we didn't have enough to follow. Now, I could talk about all those challengers. I will talk about all of them later in the week. Uh, But for now, if you want to hear about the ATP Challenger action happening, hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed, host Damian Kust and Jakob Barbaro, breaking it down as they do each and every week. You can find those episodes over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, with all of that in mind, we'll be back here each and every week to help make sense of all the action happening across the tennis world. If you've missed any of our covers from the offseason, you can catch up on it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, college tennis right around the corner as well. If you've missed any of our Power 5 head coaching interviews, hop on over to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, College Contenders. We're doubling up the rest of the way, Tuesdays, Thursdays, as we break down our top five teams entering the 2022 season. That'll be with Chris Helios, Matt Sikoyak, John Parsons. We're getting the gang back together. All of that content available on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. A shot. Oh, I'm not at Great Shot Pod anymore. I'm at Al Gruskin. Excuse me, as I am just sick of having Ben Rothenberg chirp into my ear. Why aren't you changing it? Why aren't you changing it? It's so unprofessional. And you know, to an extent, he's actually correct. Thus, I did change it. Obviously, I wouldn't have changed it if I didn't believe him. But now, at Al Gruskin is the Twitter handle. That was a bad Ben impression. I need to work on that as well moving forward. But of course. Speaking of impressions, I don't know. That was a terrible transition. Just shout out to the super producers, Max Slater and Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Feels good to be back. I miss doing these solo podcasts, so expect plenty of coverage as, again, we rock and roll here in 2022. But with all of that said, for our super producers, Sligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>